We are the team that is connecting all Hudson Valley hospitals and medical providers so that they can share information securely and seamlessly. We are their consultants in helping reduce waste and optimize reimbursement. We are their partners, providing them with free access to the tools, information, and support they need to deliver the best care possible. Their mission is our mission. We are the Hudson Valley's Health Information Exchange. HealthLink New York, now powered by Healthy Connections. Three, two, one, go. Hey, welcome to an all-new episode of American Gods, Talking American Gods. Today, we are lucky enough to have one of the most interesting shows I think I've seen in a while uh, to review and talk about. Some really cool stuff happened in this episode, and I am really excited to start talking about it. Also, before I forget, uh, I always mean to say this before every single podcast, and just it slips my mind. So... This is sort of my new experience here, uh, not just with podcasting, but leading the podcast. So to that end, speak up. If you hear things that you think are cool or not so cool, don't be afraid to let me know. I am seriously wanting to learn. So with that said, I'm going to introduce my co-hosts. We have, first of all, Kinte. Kinte, how's everything going? pretty good and if i suck i don't want to hear about it don't message kinte don't at kinte about his uh podcast performance he's heard enough uh uh just just me just me yeah okay well that's awesome and yardley yardley how's it going hey i'm good i got a co-sign what kinte said but um everything's all good you've been doing a great job and um you know i i think that i can you know tell from the first time that you started recording with us you know, until now, you definitely have a lot more confidence uh, heading up shows. So keep on going. Well, thank you. And everybody don't at Yardley either because he doesn't need any help. Just me. It's just me. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay. So I, I did want to just real briefly talk about show numbers because a dramatic thing happened last week and there was an uptick in viewers. So I don't think this is accidental. I started seeing, uh, you know, pretty fresh run material on some AMC shows and a couple of other different places where I know prime media audiences are. I even saw the uh, one during The Walking Dead, which I thought was really, you know, smart on Star's part. So that was not too bad. It's not a huge uptick, but it's a bit, uh, you know, there's what, a couple, what, 10,000, 10 something thousand. It's better than going down, which I feel is pretty important. Still nowhere near where we were at the beginning of the season. And hey, so, uh, how many episodes? Eight. Is it eight episodes this season? It's eight. Yeah. They was right. eight last season too. Yeah, yeah. I I actually want to get to that a little bit uh, a little bit later about where we think the show is going to end up at the end of the season and whether my original. Uh, uh, prediction about whether they're going to wrap this up in the story based on the book at the end of the season is correct or not correct because uh, I am seeing some, some hallmarks that make me think that maybe I was wrong at the beginning, but to start, I, I, I wanted to say that th this episode was such an interesting eclectic episode. It's one of those strangest mix-ups that oddly worked, but from a narrative storytelling perspective was just so bizarre. So the, the, the big, social media buzz this week was this first of all the talk about technology boy who 
I, I guess for lack of a better word was retired. I, I have a theory about this. Um, and it only took me four times of watching the show to figure out what I actually was going to kind of come up with as a theory. But the second thing, which I think actually is even bigger and probably overshadows that is the Mr. Nancy Bill Quist and Mr. Evis having their, uh, conversation in the funeral home. So I am definitely going to get to that first. But to just to kind of start off, I wanted to ask both of you how you felt about the 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 episode overall. And when I say that, I, I don't just mean like whether you liked the story. I mean, do you think that from a, a storytelling perspective that they are doing a job that is good enough for the viewers to understand what is going on here. Uh, you go first, Kente, because <laughs> I might be a little long-winded. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, um, I think so. For the most part, I think uh, I'm actually kind of surprised about how much people are able to to follow it because you know I have very little faith on on the uh the uh, public but it seems as if um people seem to follow it just fine so i mean i have no problem with it but um no i think it i think they've done a pretty decent job with with that just as a follow-up can i ask you if you think that the story is uh is is Okay, let, let's focus specifically on the second season because this is where I have uh, some concern. Do you think in this second season that that the that the narrative has progressed in a forward direction enough without a lot of reminders about what happened in the first season that the audience understands what forward progression is being made? I, I honestly have some doubts about this and wonder if this is not part of the lack of viewers yeah i um, yes i totally okay agree. go ahead yardley you you take it away well, well no i was just <clears throat> excuse me i was saying i totally um agree with you i don't think that the story is laid out enough for the average viewer to probably track it because we live in our own bubble and we're really into it so we really track what's going on and i think that we can probably make a better analysis of things than some people but i could see how it could be confusing and kind of lose some people the way that the story has been laid out thus far yeah i'm i'm i think mostly the no i shouldn't say it's a concern but my my interest was piqued this week when i started talking about uh what is actually the the opening of the show which is the birth of technology boy and how i thought that that was an interesting coming to America vignette, the way that they've been doing the coming to America pieces, except this wasn't coming to America. This was we're in America. And the fact that they told it from or the back, the fact that the uh, birth of technology boy was done with a family that was clearly uh, Asian American, first of all, felt slightly tropey. But secondly, had there was this feeling that I had after I started talking about this where people were looking at me with this blank stare and I realized that they weren't buying in to the whole this is why the war between the gods is so important that it's not just a made-up event in Mr. Wednesday's mind that there really is something that's happening here in terms of a shift 
in how people both worship and what is sort of fueling the gods, how they can be created, but then how they have to be sustained. And it, it, what fascinated me about those conversations was I never felt like anybody questioned any of that in the first season, but somehow in the second season, it feels like it's all been erased. And I, I, I don't know if you guys feel that way, but like Yardley said, I wonder if that's because we're just inside of kind of a bubble. I don't know. What do you, do you guys, do you feel that way? Or is this just (laughs) the people that I'm around are just a little bit more clueless than normal. (laughs) Sorry. guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for throwing that out. Do you want to tackle that? Kente? Cause I'm, I'm trying to, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm trying not to, I I, I feel like, uh, you know, I was surprised in the first season that so many people actually enjoyed it, um, and um, and actually was able to follow it, Be- just because so many people, if it's not so simple, they have a hard time with it, right? So it was kind right. of surprising to me because uh, I have very little faith in in the uh, the public. But um, with that said, um, I feel like the people who watch it seem to get out of it what they. One, I mean, what you know, what is supposed to be portrayed. So, I just feel like the people who don't watch it are probably the people that would have the hardest time uh, following it. And I also don't think, like, let's just say you've got a new viewer and they just dove into it this season, they would totally be clueless. You know, I, I don't right. think that someone could hit the ground running. You know, if they started watching it in the first episode of this season. So, but I mean, I think, I think the people, and it might be because of the bubble that we tend to see that watch the show are people who are, they're really into it. They're in, invested. Now, I'm never going to say that the majority of viewers are book readers, but I do think for this particular property, I do think that, you know, you have a pretty rabid fan base, you know, so. You know, I don't ever, I don't know if I ever want to say, now, I, I will say that a person who couldn't necessarily hit the ground running coming into this season would definitely be more clueless, but I don't know. Sometimes we nitpick a lot, uh, especially in the group, uh, huh, Jen? Yeah, well, that that is true. And, 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 and also, I'm always looking at story as uh, kind of a critical function of our society and our culture. And the when interesting things happen like the just the very idea of american gods which was part of the reason that i read the book in the first place it 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 takes on kind of uh almost a meta existence and sometimes i think when you call attention to the things that perhaps we are more shallow and vapid with we end up feeling offended in some ways when that stuff gets sort of thrown back in our faces and made fun of, even if it's in the most awesome, excellent way to show us, hey, you know what, we really are a bunch of tech junkies always looking for the next high. And the, specifically, the, what I felt uh, intrigued about was 
well, actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pause this for a moment because what I want to do is is get into how the narrative unfolded because there's a specific place where Technology Boy and Mr. World diverge, and at that point, I think that's when people got very confused. And uh, I'll I'll ask you guys for your take as well. So, okay, so as I said, the the show basically opens to the birth of Technology Boy, which was a really interesting unfolding of a, a, a dad telling a son information about what he considers to be prayer and it, it flows through music and the boy his son creates a, a program that then internalizes what i would call the dad's quote-unquote prayer and as a result of that the birth of a prayer which was the god and it was sort of really similar to the way that mad sweeney was born if you will um just just different circumstances and with different gadgets being involved um we saw that that basically he was brought into existence now i wanted to ask you guys though how you felt about that whole first scene other than you know the old tech i think i even wrote in the show notes that <laughs> There's something oddly strange about being comforted by seeing old tech, but it was kind of cool. I loved Pong. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I actually had to watch that beginning sequence twice before I put together that that was kind of what it was about, like the birth of um, technology. Because it was kind of weird. And, and Kente, do you know the name of the, the guy who was playing the father? Do, no. do you know that guy's name? No, let me He's, I've seen him in a lot of stuff. It's like he yeah, plays so a lot of I. assholes. Yeah, he plays like a lot of assholes in movies and stuff. So I I, re I remember it, uh, his face, but it took me two goes at it, um, you know, watching that sequence, and I kind of got what it was, and I actually started enjoying it a little bit more the second time um, I watched it because I started picking up on more things. But I I do definitely love that sequence, but I still like the the old school uh, coming to America vignettes. Yeah, me too. Oh, you know, I do. I of course I really like that, and that's the 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 direct way to honor who the old gods are. But we have to figure out how the new gods both were born and why they even matter. Because if they don't matter, then how can we possibly be invested in who wins the war? Quite clearly, real, real I think we are supposed to be led, right, to believe that the old gods are supposed to win this war. Real, I, that's the way I feel like they untell it. Real quick, the uh, father's name is Chill Kong. He um, is a uh, actor. He was in the Mikado Project, The Gambler, Freedom Riders, and uh, it looks like he's done a lot of martial arts stuff, too. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, maybe right. I have I wonder if I have him confused with somebody else, but okay. Were you going to say something, Yardley? Oh, uh, no, go ahead. So the, what I, I, I think, well, okay. So I'm, I'm going to actually sort of move a, a little bit uh, away from this, this piece again, because I'm going to come back to it. Right. Uh, just because I feel like there's a discussion to be had here about whether or not we understand what even the new gods and the old gods are fighting about and why it should matter to us. That, I think, is sort of a quintessential piece. But um, I want to come back to that 
as a story point when we start talking about how Technology Boy was retired or whatever. Um, I, I, I want to sort of switch, though, to Shadow at the moment because <laughs> the, the, something interesting always happens with American Gods. Whenever Shadow is involved in something that is part of the supernatural, it, it, they always go out of their way to make him so awkward. And I, I sort of love it, but I sort of make it just makes me feel like it's so intentional as i really was wondering if you guys had picked up on any of that yeah it's very intentional you do you think that they make him feel awkward yeah because he's not i mean this is all new to him right well yeah but 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 i mean okay so there's clueless which any one of us could be at any one given time and then there's like really awkward and awkward is the way i feel like they make shadow like he's uh like maybe he understands that he's in the presence of gods and so it sort of trips him up sometimes um but then other times it seems so natural that it's sort of like when you come back to he's so uh awkward it really reminds you it just brings it back home that he's he really is out of his element here when he has this yeah. conversation with Mr. Ebus, it, I think that comes up a lot, don't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was in this episode when he was talking to Mr. Ebus, didn't he like run into something or something fell or. Oh yeah. 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 It was, I think it was actually right after um, his sister showed up you know, in the feline farm, but he like knocked over some, something on the, um, his table i think it was some tools it, it it just makes me think that he's just played up to be so awkward um yeah I, I could totally see that and also i guess with the situation that's kind of going on uh by the end of the episode we know that he's possibly thinks that he's on to something that he's really important to what's going on but at the same time with all of the things that are going on it's hard to not understand why he would feel like he's not in his element yeah, well, there's a there's such a duality with Shadow, and I think we see that uh, I think we see that even more pronounced uh, a little bit later when they are in St. Louis and they talk to uh, the, the 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 guardian, the threshold guardians for Mister Money, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but before the money scene. Um, I, I wanted to just make a quick observation, and that is there is something so dynamic about Mr. Ebus, the funeral home, yeah. and every conversation that happens in there. And I just put it together in this episode because Mr. Nancy calls him Toth. I, I didn't get it before, but... I, I get it now. I understand it now, right? And did you guys feel the same way? Did you understand that? Or no, I shouldn't say, did you understand it? What did you take from it? What did you take from it? Um, first of all, the acting and the, the scene with uh, Mr. Nancy and and them were awesome. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, Mr. Nancy. And um, I love the dialogue. That was, you know, excellent. And it was a definitely it was definitely a different wrinkle than we were we've been used to, you know. And with them coming together, kind of 
in some way uh, banding together, and we'll see how that goes. Um, but I, I thought the scene was great, and I really loved Mr. Nancy's uh, speech. Well, also the rallying cry and the call for unity around death. Right. Like that's who you're, yeah. that's who you're, you know, you're, you're talking about a, um, you know, trying to unify, you know, us in this great moment, but you're discussing it with someone that I, I kind of think Mr. Ebus uh, uh, was basically saying that, you know, regardless of whose side you're on at the end of the day, all of you come across my table, you, you know what I mean? So, right. I th- I think he, I mean that was definitely uh, I I agree with Kente and I and I've um, read some of your your show notes and uh, your messages, Jen, on you know about the scene. I agree with you. It was probably one of the most powerful scenes that I've seen uh, since the show has been on, and um, I, I really do think that um, everybody involved did a great job. So I was actually kind of surprised that they had this kind of scene. To be honest yeah. with you, me too. You, you know, yeah, me too. First of all, props and credit that it was a really, I hate to say it was brave because why should it be? But it was. Um, And secondly, it it further underscores the idea that that the old gods have their own purposes. I feel like we even got that at the last, the last episode of first season with Easter. Easter was not interested in anything happening. She was, look, everything's fine. You know, everybody collects Easter baskets. Look at all these Jesuses I have. I mean, like, it, it actually felt like she was completely disinvested in everything. And it it did take uh, something a little bit different for Mr. Wednesday to convince her. But here, we have a group of people who are, although Mr. Wednesday is raising the banner, <clears throat> they are coming together for their own purpose. Right. I, I mean, it Right? Am I wrong? Well, no, I, I don't think that you're wrong. I also feel like this call for unity um, is basically basically what you said. Kind of like a, it's a it's a means to certain ends, uh, you know, that they mm-hmm. have. And um, I just kind of think that man, there were so many things that Mr. Nancy said, like everything from using the examples to, um, you know people of color getting abducted and, you know, things don't really get fixed or there's never a jump off until, you know, it affects, you know, white folks, <laughs> you know, all, all of that type of, you know, all those types of things that he was talking about were different things, you know, uh, that really do resonate. You know, I think that Bill Quist had said right before that scene started, when she was talking to Ebus, where he said that you looked beautiful and she was like, this country hasn't been too kind to my face. There were so many points that were made in that one, you know, one statement, you know what I'm saying? If you were paying yep. attention, you know, mm. to the situation, but there were so many instances like that in that scene, which, uh, which I really do believe this is one of the best scenes that they've had in the show. Oh yeah. By far. And, and to me, not only was it well acted, but there, there was, uh, this, the, it was almost like they, they did, uh, two episodes of necessary, backstory necessary threads being uh used to weave something new that they wouldn't have had if they hadn't done this one scene and to me that's actually really interesting but for even further than that right the i loved what bilquist said bilquist said something along the lines of um 
hey, suffering has been happening forever. We've all witnessed it. We all know it's going on. This isn't new. What you think is new, or what she says to Mr. Nancy, what you think is new is not new. But effectively, Mr. Nancy made it new. He made it new by saying, this is different. This is different from what we have experienced before, and here's why. And I honestly, in terms of just being a departure from the book, this one, it felt so originally well adapted that it fit neatly into the story and yet gave a brand new dynamic to it. Did you guys feel the same way or how did you feel about that? Well, well, do either of you know if, um, uh, gosh, or Orlando Jones got a writing credit for this episode too? Let me take a look. I, I thought he did. Yeah. Okay. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. It kind of seems like this would be something that he put in there. You know, <laughs> obviously. Um, no, he didn't. I, I do. Oh, but he, he didn't? Probably, but he probably it just seems like, yeah, I just based off of all of the things that I've seen them do in this series, this seems so different from everything else. It would just it just seems odd to me that he wouldn't have been involved. It just seems like something different. Uh, this particular scene and how how it was played out. Um, but, yeah, whoever did it, it was it was done great. You know, I, I, I followed it well. And um, it's actually like I said, it's probably one of my favorite scenes ever from the show. Yeah, I definitely agree. It it ranks right up there for me too. Both, in fact, you know, my other favorite scene in the series is, not surprisingly, with Mister Nancy too, where he's in the bowels of the slave ship, and he gives his, uh, his his call, his rally to, to it's it's a rally cry. That's all I could think of, and it, it's amazing. What is even more amazing to me is they have taken all of this out of the Anansi mythology because there's the Anansi mythology is huge. It's, it's not just a small, like it's, it's almost like Mr. Wednesday, right. With Odin, the all father, there's so much that goes into it. And it's, there's so many collections of stories about Anansi, the spider. It's just an amazing group of work. And so for them to have pulled Orlando Jones out of this to put him in this role is to me, it's just such a hallmark that it's so underappreciated in some ways. And I, I really want to give credit uh, for both the foresight of putting him in there and also just the let the guy loose because wow, it was dynamic. It was so dynamic, but I, I, I want to go back to a point real quick, if I could, and ask you guys both if, if you felt, cause I don't think I actually got this answer. I wanted to know if you guys felt like the, the, the old gods, if they're, do you think that their mission is actually aligning up with Mr. Wednesdays or do you think that they're sort of running their own agenda? Hmm. Hello. Could you repeat that, Jen? Do you think that the old gods are, when they come together, are they lining up with Mr. Wednesday's agenda or are they off on their own agenda? Oh, I think they're off on their own agenda. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I I think that Mr. Wednesday thinks that he's, I don't want to say playing, 
you know, other people. But I think that he thinks that he's a little bit farther ahead of the game than he really is. <laughs> I also think that the other people, I mean, all of these gods have known each other for a long time. You know right. what I mean? So I definitely think that they all probably have their own uh, agenda. It, it It's odd to me because uh, of something that also happens in this episode, which again, <clears throat> now I'm going to actually get to. Um, the old gods don't morph. They don't change. There's no new Bilquist. There's, I was alive in the desert, you know, when you got your first prayer. There's, uh, you know, I've been doing this for, yeah, I, I, I was a god of the Nile. Like, you know, I mean, there's like, there's that kind of thinking. And then there is the, um, and then there is the, the new thinking, which is we are moving so fast with media, technology, and information that the new gods are are they have to change really fast in order to keep up it's change or die and we saw that in the first season with the story uh and i forgot which god it was but they showed the death of a god and it was long and protracted and you know eventually people just forgot about her and that's how she died but here it's like you know, from one second to the next, technology, media, information, everything can change on a dime. And all of a sudden, the gods that were the gods are not the gods anymore. I, I actually thought that that was a pretty fascinating piece to draw forward because they're not saying it so much in actual script as much as they are just showing us through the context of the metaphor of the war and how fascinating that piece is I, I i actually thought that that was pretty unique i i i, I guess that's the right word what but, but don't you think that ultimately having to evolve regardless of which side that you're on it still has to happen in some capacity see, or you're that, sure you're going to be in front of uh, the god of the nile see that's the interesting thing the interesting thing to me is <clears throat> how the old gods technically have changed how they have Mr. Ebus talks about how his role in Cairo is different than it used to be. He talks about how people regard uh, people. They were never known as colored people before. At, dark, exotic, maybe. And I, that was also just a fascinating sort of glimpse into why things are so important to pay attention to. I think the old gods are changing. It's just that they change incrementally and the new gods have to adapt so fast that their yeah. lifespan is shorter. Okay, so having said that, let's talk about Technology Boy. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I'm just going to throw it out to both you, Kinte, and you, Yardley. What did you think about the about how that whole scene between Technology Boy, his friend, and Mr. World unfolded? When I saw him walking around with Ray's mop, I was like, choke his ass out. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. He's got to go. He's definitely, you know, technology <laughs> definitely does have to change. Just like you said, um, Jen, things evolve so quickly. 
But I do, I did find, I don't think that I found as much delight in him getting roughed up by Mr. World as I thought that I would if you would have asked me this last season. Like, it was like, eh. I do like how um, at the end of that scene, after Mr. World um, is saying that he was blind, and then, of course, he goes for technology uh, technology boy's eyes. But as uh, technology boy got up and started running, did y'all notice how, like, on the walls, it was, it was saying, like, delete and, yeah. you know, all of these mm-hmm. different messages? Yeah, and I thought that that was cool, and it, and it was basically talking about you know deleting, removing information, and then when he thinks he's about to escape, you know the door is locked, you know, like and he can't get out. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead, Jen. M- m- uh, just just as just as a quick uh, insert into that, the the door that he first can get out is the door that has the uh, the solid vertical lines on them and they are perfectly pong shaped yes and and my uh, my yeah. expression was this is out with old technology that was a great observation Jen. yeah now, I, now that you said it i remember that you know i i remember those lines uh yep on the door because that was the one door that he could get out of. He could get out of the, okay, now I'm exiting old technology, but he couldn't get into whatever was going to come next. So, so do you think that he's going to return? Uh, and when I say that, I'm, you know, tongue in cheek. Do you think the technology boy will be reborn into, you know, technology man or technology something else? Or, I mean, clearly we're not giving up technology. Yes, right. uh, I believe so. Yeah. And and what do you think that might look like? <sighs> hmm. I don't know. That's a good. Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's. I just. I have no idea. I don't even want to pull anything out of my butt on what I would think it would look like. I. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. But that's that's a great question, though. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I, I, know I, I am. much of a help, but. Uh... <laughs> I know. Yeah. It'll probably be like a, a phantasm ball or something. I, I, I was trying to I was trying to come up with what I thought was new tech, right? And old tech, if we if we think about what was sort of the generational start to most of us, sorry, anybody who's you know super young, but for most of us who uh, who who learned older tech, we started with older video games, even even Game Boy, even you know some of the older sets. I mean, that what that wasn't uh, wasn't the guy in the in the beginning. Wasn't he using um, wasn't he using an old Atari? I think he was using an old Atari. Um, I mean, those t- at this point those feel so antiquated, but it wasn't that long ago. And yeah. what's new tech? Well, well, Jen. Well, maybe the way the new way that technology is going to push forward, I think the natural progression is probably the fact that it'll be a person that has technology in their bodies. You know what I mean? So mm. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to go there with maybe a character that has, you know, the characteristics of being a human, having a soul, and having technology. So that's probably the next uh, evolution <laughs> that they might try to go towards in the series. Ooh, I like that. Uh, that that's that's actually really good because you kind of get a little bit of everything right so like if you have the soul or whatever you have the ability for um well first of all i can't prove that people have a soul but i I would just say that you know (laughs) you know 
you know, you, you know, the soul or, or whatever, it, it'll give you an opportunity to kind of have a little bit of everything, though. You know, you have the ability to reason. You've still got the physical presence. You still have the technology. So you're kind of kind of like Jon Snow's The Song of Ice and Fire. You know, you've kind of got everything going on. So I don't know. I mean, is there anything beyond that that you think that the future uh, could be? Well, Even more well to me, new technology is all AI. To me, new technology is, uh, is it, you know, as simplistic as it is right now, I see that it's going to evolve. But, you know, it's our basic interactions with Siri. It's our basic interactions with Alexa. It's our, it's our understanding of the world as technology can serve us. But, but in reality, uh, it's maybe not quite that cut and dry. So AI, to me, is sort of the new technology. And, and I know it seems like maybe that is the function of old technology, but I feel like there is definitely a divergence where what we see technology boy being is something that is representational of beginning source code. And in the same way that I no longer code sites in straight HTML because, wow, that's ancient and old and doesn't give me any, you know, there's no, I don't have any awesome stuff that I can do with it. I now code in a language that is, uh, I would call it almost an upgrade from just the basic and standard stuff. So uh, I, I think it was really cool the way that they called attention even to the idea that there could be old tech and that Technology Boy would represent that seemed pretty fabulous. I, 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 I like you said, it, I didn't find glee in Technology Boy's demise. Because at some point I felt like, okay, I get it. The metaphor isn't that Technology Boy is dead. It's that he is being uh, resurrected. Uh, maybe a better word is reincarnated into whatever is needs to happen next. And whatever that is, clearly Mr. World still needs it. Right, because I, I don't see that Mr. World can somehow act in the function of technology as well. And technology exists. So it's not like that's not does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. It makes sense. Was was that the only scene that media was in in this episode? Well, she was in two, right? She was in the beginning where Mr. World you know, gives them both kind of an earful about uh, Argus. But then she was, well, she made a brief appearance on the screen when, which is why I think that this is new information because it was tied to media, right? Media was on the screen when Mr. World came in and said, you know, I've never seen uh, a God argue about his own obsolescence, argue for his own obsolescence as effectively as you have. That sort of says something about why the tie between tech and media is so critically functional at this point. Does that, do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, she was, was actually a... on that screen that then became the network infrastructure that, uh, that the, that the guy, that the son then, uh, I wish they, I, I didn't hear his name. I wish they had given him a name. Um, but that that he was on, I think, effectively tying those two together. Yeah. That basically media is information at this point, right? I think that I think that was the message. I don't know. You know, let me know if you think that that's wrong. 
I don't think that it's wrong. So I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go along with you. I, I totally it, agree. It's hard to tell sometimes because the meta, uh, the meta understanding of what's happening in this, these stories can sometimes be a little bit convoluted with the narrative of American gods, right? We know in American gods what is supposed to be sort of happening and transpiring, but there is a, a meta universe inside of it where we're all experiencing our everyday interactions with prayer, uh, worship, ritual understanding of our own world and how that sort of touches us and what we consider to be our own sense of spirituality. And because all of those things get tied together, sometimes it can be a little bit tough to deconstruct what may or may not be happening on the screen based on the writer's interpretation of the story. So uh, that, that I just feel like that's, you know, what, this is one of those instances. Um, one thing that before I start talking about money that I wanted to bring up is, do you think that in some way that the, that Mr. World comes off as being a little bit, uh, maybe that's uh, too small, uh, of a tyrant? A little bit? Well, see, that's what I'm saying. I mean, well, or, or two one note. Are, are you trying to say that the character's a little bit too one note? Um, yeah, a, a little. Yeah. yeah, like, like you know, he say. has like the an emotional range that is basically tyrannical or super, completely unemotional. I think it would probably because he did mention that you know he chooses fear, but what what would make you more fearful than someone that you know has a lot of power, but they're really not overreacting? Like sometimes not saying much is probably scarier than somebody who's you know all out there. You know. Oh, that's a good point, actually. So I think they could pull it off if they did the exact opposite thing, but I think that the character's been pretty one note, to be honest with you. So I, I watched American Gods the first time on my TV, right? I don't have a giant TV, but it's big enough that, you know, it takes up a lot of my living room. And uh, it, it was great. That one scene where he is talking to media and technology boy, I was pretty fascinated with. But then I watched it on my computer. And I watch it on my computer so that I can read closed captioning. Uh, just because it's easier for me to sort of get subtle hints that I don't get when I just watch it to experience it. And one of the things that I noticed is in that scene, uh, Crispin Glover does this thing where he visibly shakes. And it's the best emoting <coughs> of anger that I think I've seen in a long time. He didn't have to even say anything for you to know how angry he was i mean if somebody is angry enough to shake that's huge i don't even know if i've ever seen anybody in person be that angry it's just sort of the stuff of legends but i, I loved it <laughs> i don't think i don't think that i have either or i just uh, yeah i don't think that i have either. i've seen someone shake in fear though yeah well, and okay, so so okay, so let me get your opinion on this. So, why do you think that Mr. World prefers fear to worship? Hmm. I, I, Kente, would you say that um, fear has a better proven track record? <laughs> yeah, fear, man. You you know when you fear something, man, you 
You do what it say, you know, you, you know, you uh, control it. You, you so, know. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say there's the there's a, a great sort of uh, underline here that is most fear, uh, apparently, or I shouldn't say it that way, most anger comes from fear. And so to see him be angry kind of feeds that narrative a little bit. Mm-hmm. But but the but the question then is we know <clears throat> the gods can't exist without prayer, ritual, something, something that connects them, right? right, right. Uh, Mr. Money actually or M- Money, uh, it was great the way that they explained how he even exists and why he still exists even after the like Shadow said they took the dollar off of the gold standard. That is a really interesting conversation to be had there. But what does Mr. World feed off of? Besides fear? Any ideas? Yeah. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe fear is his prayer. Maybe that's his, you know, he's he pulls enough uh, spiritual mana from just straight fear. But I, I don't know if that was the message from his parting line or not. I, I'm still sort of struggling with that one. Hey, if it's if it's good enough for Pennywise, it's good enough for Mr. World. <laughs> yeah, well, except I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Mr. Nancy would have something to say if Mr. World suddenly turned into a giant spider. So I'll just leave that there. Um. <laughs> Okay, so uh, this is sort of another little aspect, but something that really made me uh, notice. The, the conversation that Billquist has with, uh, with Miss Ruby in the, the, the chapel. So at first I thought, well, this was an interesting little segue and maybe it was just to kind of introduce us to, you know, Bill Quist and Mr. Nancy and, you know, but then she goes back and I'm wondering if you guys have any insight into why you think Bill Quist went back to that chapel to talk to Ruby. You know what? I never, you know what? I don't, I don't have anything for you on that one, Jen. Um, I don't think that I, ever got caught up in the why she ended up back so i'll defer to you i I think it was necessary for her there was something that she was getting out of those uh encounters um it it was some sort of self-exploration if you will yeah yeah the 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 vibe that i got from that was was it had something to do with the line that Mr. Nancy said to her about her crisscrossing back and forth over enemy lines. And it felt to me like the conversations with Ruby, who is clearly just, you know, your average everyday mortal, was a- about her almost on the flip side about Billquist exploring the spirituality that exists outside herself and only a mortal, only someone who isn't a God could explain it in a way that would make sense 
for a God to understand. That is, gods talking together have a different kind of communication and speak about different things. But mortals speak about the mundane, about the need for someone to be there at your grandmother's funeral, for the need of sacrifice and what that really means. Hey, I didn't go to school, but hey, maybe if I'd been in school, this whole thing with my grandmother wouldn't have turned out the way that it did. And maybe I don't have to be angry about that. I honestly, I felt like Ruby was saying to Billquist something that Billquist was like trying to process and adapt herself. And it, I, I liked it. I, it was just such an interesting back and forth. Did you feel any, you didn't feel any of that at all or, 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 <clears throat> I'm, I guess I'm just kind of asking. I'm just throwing it out there again because I think it was well, important. About, well, Jen, what about the character that Bill Quist, um, what was the character's name, uh, the young lady that was in the... Ruby? It was Ruby. Um, right. do, do you think that there's more to Ruby than just this episode? Do you think that it's a coincidence that they would have her go back to this character a couple of times? You think that this is the last time we're going to see that character? Something in my gut tells me that that character is more than we think it is. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, from a storytelling perspective, the reason that that may actually be true is because they gave us Ruby's last name. Right. And for the most part, you don't usually get a character's first and last name unless it happens to be important. You know, I, the small details don't tend to be necessary to pull together. It would have been just fine for her to be Ruby if it wasn't somehow important for us to identify her as Ruby Goodchild. Yeah. Also, her last name sort she, of screams some right, kind of. <laughs> is she in the book? Is she what? Is she a character in the book? Um, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I'll... I, yeah, we'll have to look. We'll have to look into that. When's the last time that you read the book, Jan? It's oh, been geez. a few years. Yeah, it's been about. Well, the last time that actually that I read it was the year before last, before the the first episode of the first season aired. It was like sometime way before that. So it's been a while for me, too. Uh, although, uh, you know, I, the reason that I hesitate is because I can kind of see Ruby in a number of different uh, coincidental characters in American Gods. And I don't know. It's hard for me sometimes to tell if they try to wrap things up into one character that ha- that were actually assigned multiple character presences in the book if that makes sense like sometimes it's not just that it's a single character it's that they have taken three or four different character uh pieces and put them all together into one character so that's why i hesitated but what are the um because i was looking up like qualities um when people talk about good children or qualities of um a good child and it's like you know some of those tenets are like trust patience responsibility empathy and self-reliance and some of these were things that you know ruby obviously had uh but i just kind of find that interesting that there are a lot of attributes that she seems to have that are kind of under the definition of what a good child is well R- R- ruby was <clears throat> basically ruby was the uh was the typification of every virtue that exists, right? They talked about patience, like you said, they talked about not being greedy. You know, we're in Cairo. Nobody has two cents to rub together. Uh, They talked about, they talked about everything that basically would be a virtue. 
And that, and see, that's why I think that Billquist was so incredibly drawn to her because she, like I said, she only a mortal could explain these things. I don't think gods embody virtue as, as such. I think that that's a human thing. Gods don't have the same, uh, they don't have the same capacity that humans do. And I think it goes all the way back to what technology boy said at the very beginning of this episode to media, which is humans are different from animals because humans know they will die. And it opens up a brand new world of things to be explored because they know that they will die. And that is part of the reason that they worship. They are looking for an explanation and uh, and a, maybe even a, a pushback to I'm going to die. Well, if I pray hard enough, maybe I won't die. But also, what will happen after I die? Help me figure that out, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it makes a huge sense because if if you think about it, uh, even even when we're younger, we don't have a necessary. We think we're immortal, in a way, and it, we act differently. And then as we get older, we start thinking, we start realizing, man, I you know I ain't gonna be here forever. So it changes right. a, a lot of the why we uh, you know do the things that we do. So yeah, and. And and just by extension, that also may change the way that we pray, the way that we, uh, the way that we experience um, other people. Uh, well, not just other people, but how we experience the whole spiritual realm. I mean, I, I honestly think that that is sort of a, a big aspect to what they specifically what they were trying to get across to us. Although, I'll be honest. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I think that they're a little too obvious. And then sometimes I think uh, the, some of these things take so much processing that it really makes me have to work to get to the deeper understanding, which is great. But, uh, you know, once again, um, Neil Gaiman has such a, an, uh, just an interesting uh, reflexive ability to tell a good story and the visual narrative of American gods, I think can sometimes be a little bit convoluted. So when we dissect stuff, it sometimes it feels like, wow, you know, this stuff is actually important. Oh, and I important to the story because it does differ from the book so much that I, I think, I mean, that's the way that I'm, it's coming across to me. I don't know. Hey, hey Jim, would, would would you would you be comfortable? Um, I know part of the conversation when we started off the podcast, you were talking about where we think that we would end up, you know, book wise uh, by the end of this season. Um, are you? I kind of want to, you know, I kind of want to get to that really quickly though, because what I'm wondering is, I do feel like, and I won't be disappointed if they did kind of save the close, you know, the closing chapters of the book until the next season like i think that they're going to really do a lot of different things and unique things uh yeah. to close this thing out uh i, I just it, it would be it, it would be a shame i wouldn't want them to close out the book this season and then start doing their own thing i'd rather them kind of do their own thing in the middle and then kind of close it out a little bit closer would that bother you 
it wouldn't bother me and it really does as i said at the beginning it does to me seem like that's the that's the direction i think that that's where they're going um all of the uh you know, stick a pin in this moments that have been happening over the first couple of episodes here feel very much like a, a protracted understanding of the storyline that is not just unfolding, but that still has quite a bit more to unfold. And I, I'm not, I, I, at first I thought, well, you know, it's going to be boring because what are they going to tell other than what is sort of in there? But we didn't see Mad Sweeney at all this episode. We didn't see Laura at all this episode. We didn't see some of the other facets of what we know is going on this episode at all. And we know that that takes up a good part of what we've already been introduced to as the story. So if there's only eight episodes left, how they how they pull together everything in the last couple of episodes doesn't seem to me, it doesn't seem like they can. I, what is that what you were thinking, Yardley? Yeah. Right along those lines. What about you, Kente? How do you feel about that? What do you think? Uh, I think, I mean, I, I know you didn't read the book, but. Well, I mean, you know, I haven't read the book, but um, you know, I, as someone who hasn't seen the book, who hasn't read the book, who actually I downloaded it while we've been talking on Audible, so I'll be listening cool. to the book. Um, that uh, you know, I, I I'm just along for the ride, and, and whatever happens happens. Uh, part of me is like maybe I should wait until until uh, you know uh, this season's over to to get into the book, but then I'm like, nah, I'm gonna <laughs> you know like I just want to, I really want to uh, experience this show through in the book so and it's long so you know it it, is it'll be a good oh yeah and also in the audio book i think it gives you um some stuff that didn't end up in the actual printed part if i'm not mistaken right isn't there like the jesus thing wasn't in the book yeah 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 Yeah. Yeah, there's 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 a there's a couple of things what i think is nice is uh what i think is nice is that we definitely it, it doesn't matter how they end this season What's nice is, number one, to know that there is a next season. But two, it's also really nice to feel like they are moving in a direction that gives us a lot of depth, a lot of different kinds of content, and that they really are <clears throat> paying attention to the uh, to the to the whole story of the gods and mythology and not just turning it into something that could have been very superficial. And so for that, I actually am really grateful. <clears throat> I um I, I want to thank you both first of all for uh both being here on the podcast and for always having really excellent points and awesome uh evaluations of stuff that's going on and I I I really would like to just as a last closing thing ask you both what you think will happen in next week's episode uh whether you think that Laura and Mad Sweeney are about to have an adventure of their own. Ooh, I would if I had money, I would probably bet on that. But I'm, I also kind of feel like, well, you know, you're you're on a roll with Mr. Nancy and Bill Quest and that crew. You might want to kind of keep it going. But I do think that you can't go a couple of episodes without those characters. So I totally think that they'll probably be the primary focus next week. Yeah, me too. 
How about you, Kinte? Well, I'll also say this. I think it also makes me a little bit more excited to see those characters, especially, you know, after seeing the bad place that Laura was in, you know, in the previous episode. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I kind of want to see how she's, you know, what kind of a resolve does she have and uh, how she's going to kind of shake that off. Because a lot of the stuff that Wednesday said to her uh, in the last episode were things that were true. So you know that that has to, you know, has to be, you know, she has to be shaken from that. So uh, I'm excited about that. I can I, I, I was just believed <clears throat> that next week we are about to see Laura and Matt Sweeney off on their own adventure. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a little side couple or something on the show. Uh, and they always, it's always uh, entertaining. So uh, I'm looking forward. I saw that too. The next on, it looks very, very good. So I'm looking forward to it. But does it uh, to either of you? Does it doesn't it kind of seem like as time has gone on and these episodes have gone on, I'm starting to feel like you know Mad Sweeney and Laura Moon are. are going to be drawn to each other somehow and it's going to be weird because you know that there's no way but down you know that it can go because <laughs> yeah. so, you, know, you, you kind of feel something and it almost gets to a point where she feels like she's trying too hard to uh to think that shadow would want to start over so to speak uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm almost right there with you simply because of something that mr evis said he said they're never the same when they come back <clears throat> and I, I, I feel like that is the story segue to say, yeah, Shadow and Laura are no longer a thing anymore because Laura is no longer Laura. Yeah. So I remember when my girlfriend came back from the dead, she was not the same. <laughs> so I feel it. Was that was that like uh, a couple months ago? Have you have you guys straightened stuff out now? No, no, she's not the same. So I moved on. <sighs> Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we're, we're really glad to hear that. Very glad to hear that, actually. You know, uh, Kinte and I both co-host, or both co-host, Kinte and I are both on another podcast called The Walking Dead, uh, talking about walkers. And uh, I, I, I know that that actually comes up all the time about, you know, the, the zombie-human relationship. And No, I'm just joking. <laughs> all right. I was about so, to say, what was that? So, <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to get people interested. Again, I know it's hard. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, so Yardley, tell us how we can grab you on social media. And you can follow me on Twitter at militant underscore marker. And Kente, how can people get you? Kente F, and of course the website is IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. And you can filter me, all of your wonderful apps, at following bliss one at uh, well, actually, just following Bliss, I suppose, on Twitter. Uh, you can also check out my websites at criticallaughs.com and moviesmakethemeal.com. And until next week, we will talk to you soon. We serve almost 3 million patients, 7,000 healthcare providers, and every single hospital in the Hudson Valley. We're dedicated to partnering with every healthcare team to securely connect them at no charge with instant access to the information they need to provide the best possible care. Medications, allergies, lab reports, medical histories, and more. We are the Hudson Valley's Health Information Exchange. HealthLink New York, now powered by Healthy Connections. What is better healthcare? It's your medical team having your complete medical history at their fingertips and being able to communicate instantly and securely. 
when waiting for faxes and phone calls is a thing of the past because reports and medical images are available at the touch of a button. Choosing a partner that provides these tools for free saves time, reduces costs, and provides better care. We are the Hudson Valley's Health Information Exchange. HealthLink New York, now powered by Healthy Connections.